I'm just not convinced that dairy is all that unhealthy. Convince me. We all grew up with so much dairy marketing that dairy is a great food and have it three servings a day and da 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 da. When you look at what's in it and when you look at the health effects, it's really quite surprising. Let's start with what's in it. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us in more than 130 countries around the world and healthy cities coast to coast in the U.S. Greenville, North Carolina, Nacogdoches, Texas, and San Diego, California. We appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 16 of season 5, number 315 overall. Dairy is unhealthy? Convince me! That is a challenge sent in by a viewer on today's show, and the man tasked with doing the convincing is health expert Dr. Neil Barnard, and he has been covering this extensively throughout his illustrious and lengthy career. Now, like most of us growing up and perhaps even still to this day, the person who wrote in was told that dairy is an essential part of their diet. It's necessary for strong teeth and strong bones. You need it to be healthy, period. But there's a chance that the facts that will be presented by Dr. Barnard today will offer a much different take on everything from milk to yogurt and even cheese. And then we're going to be opening up the doctor's mailbag to take even more of your questions. We're going to be examining the quality of protein that's found in dairy compared to the protein found in plants. And what about those dairy-free milks? Aren't they unhealthy because of all the sugar? We're going to find out. And then shouldn't skim milk be at least a little healthier than whole milk? We've got the side-by-side comparison. Also today, interesting research on blood pressure during the pandemic that has some doctors sounding the alarm. And I'll tell you why after the Q&A with Dr. Barnard. But before we get going, I want to say a huge thank you to the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund. Their support of the Exam Room Live and the Physicians Committee is helping to raise our health IQs and making this episode possible. The Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund supports organizations like the Physicians Committee that carry on Greg's love for animals by promoting plant-based health and working to end animal abuse. You can visit the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund online at GregoryRyderFund.org. That's Gregory Ryder, R-E-I-T-E-R, Fund.org. And while you're there, subscribe to their newsletter so you can keep up with everything that they are working on. All right, time now to get everything going with the great dairy debate from the exam room live. Dr. Barnard, so glad you're here. Great to be with you, Chuck. All right, let's just get going right here off the top. Tina's question, not even so much of a question as it is a statement. She says, I'm just not convinced that dairy is all that unhealthy. Convince me. You know, we all grew up with so much dairy marketing that dairy is a great food and have it three servings a day and da, 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 da. And when you look at what's in it, and when you look at the health effects of it, it's really quite surprising. Let's start with what's in it. Um, people think, well, a Coca-Cola, not healthy. Um, sodas in general, not healthy. Why? Too much sugar. Okay, let's take that glass of milk. What's the number one nutrient in the milk? Is it calcium? Nope. Protein? Nope. 
Fat? No, it's actually sugar. That's the number. Yes, you, exactly. Number one nutrient. Um, the majority of the calories in a glass of non-fat milk come from sugar. It's lactose sugar. And that's famous because it gives people an upset stomach a lot of the time, but it's also just um, a, uh, uh, it's an issue for everybody who really wants to avoid completely unnecessary calories. Okay. So it's a sugary beverage. Number two nutrient, fat, and not just any kind of fat. It's mostly saturated fat. That's the kind that's associated with heart disease and with Alzheimer's disease and certain kinds of cancer. So you don't want that at all. So what are you getting? You're getting a, a watery base with sugar in it and saturated fat and some protein and some calcium, but the main things are sugar and fat. That's what's, that's what's in it. Is this bad for you? Well, um, number one, saturated fat drives heart disease. You don't want that. And so where you, where we really get bad is when the milk is turned into butter and to cheese. These are foods that are loaded um, with saturated fat, but even whole milk, you just don't need it. Um, secondly, and perhaps more worrisome is the risk with cancer. Prostate cancer is strongly linked with dairy consumption in many studies going back more than 20 years. The more recent research has said ovarian cancer has to be added to the list and breast cancer. Apparently this, there has been a controversy about it, but it looks to be clear. So based on what's in it, based on what it'll do to you, I would avoid it. We haven't even touched on um, the various conditions that it will sometimes trigger. Joint pain, acne, um, other things for, for a number of people, uh, migraines or uh, autoimmune conditions. The, the results vary from one person to another, but you'll often see that getting the dairy out of your life helps a lot. Finally, apart from health, you know it, we all know it, that there are big ethical issues related with dairy. And the first is how are we treating this world that we live in? Um, cows belch methane. I'm talking about it comes out the front end. Methane is a greenhouse gas. Dairies are well known as major greenhouse uh, gas uh, producing facilities, which is the whole reason, one of the, one of the big reasons why there's been such a move away from dairy. The final thing is there are a lot of people who will say, well, I don't want to have a steak because they, they kill a cow. Well, they kill the cow uh, for dairy as well. Surprising, isn't it? Um, here's what happens. On any typical dairy, the cows are impregnated annually by artificial insemination. Um, then because a pregnant cow will then make milk for her offspring, when the calf is born and the calf is there to say, hi, mom, can I have the milk? The calf is taken away in a wheelbarrow. And then the cow is then milked. And the following year, she's impregnated again and again, um, repetitively every year. Um, so the calves are taken away and a lot of people have avoided dairy because the male calves are slaughtered quite soon for veal. Um, they're no, they're not kept around and, you know, wandering in pastures, they're slaughtered. And, and, and frankly, that's true in any part of the world. Um, even places where they say they treat them and they treat them well and retire them to nice uh, retirement homes for calves. Uh, not true. The female calves are raised in isolation until they are old enough to be impregnated. And then they go through what their mothers went through. And a cow would normally live to be about 20 years of age, give or take. That's their normal lifespan. On a dairy, uh, by about three or four, the, the farmers are doing the calculation for how much milk do they get out of them per unit feed. And it starts to diminish. And so at about age four, give or take, they are trucked off and killed. So anyway, uh, 
a lot of people haven't really thought about the idea that these animals, what they go through is really pretty creepy from having to be artificially inseminated, separated from their offspring, and then ultimately just killed and replaced. Dairy becomes a pretty creepy topic. And, it, and if I haven't totally depressed you already, let me just add one thing to it. I said that the animals are impregnated. Pregnant animals make estrogens, female sex hormones. They make a lot of them. The cows are milked during pregnancy. So let's say you're a guy and you drink a glass of milk. You are now drinking female sex hormones from the milk. And they're in cheese and it's sour cream and ice cream too. Let's say you're a woman and you're drinking a glass of milk or having yogurt. You're getting sex hormones too. They're not good for any, for anybody. For men, they affect fertility, it appears. And for women, they can affect all everything from cancer risk to, to, to a wide variety of conditions. So there you have it. Is milk healthy? Mm. Nothing, nothing even close to that. One of the big arguments that we've heard our entire lives about milk is that you need it for strong bones. Uh, so we have a question from Reggie, and Reggie is wondering, do vegans who don't consume dairy, in fact, have weaker bones? And also, why then are vegans more prone to fractures? Okay. Um, the real question here isn't whether you drink milk or not. It's whether you're getting calcium in your diet. And cows don't make calcium. The calcium is in the earth. And so when a cow eats grass, they get the, the calcium that, that, the, that the grass took from its roots from the earth, and then the cow ate it. And about, oh, maybe a third of the calcium that's in the milk is actually absorbed by your body. If you ate plants grown on the earth, um, broccoli or collards or kale, you name it, then you get their calcium. And the absorption is actually much higher. So what's the answer for strong bones? Whether you're a vegan or not, or not following a vegan diet, whatever diet you're on, you do need some calcium. How much? Uh, around 700 milligrams a day is a pretty sensible guideline. The reason I say that is that it's if you look at people who get less than that, they do tend to have more risk uh, for their bones. If you're getting more than that, there doesn't seem to be much benefit to going very much higher. But if you're getting less than that, you do need more calcium. Where should you get it? green leafy vegetables, and lots of other foods that have calcium in them as well. Um, uh, obviously, beans and many other foods have, have calcium, but the green leafy vegetables are a good source. And if you're not eating them, you're, you're missing out. Yeah. And Virginia was just asking what some good sources of calcium are, but then she had the follow-up as well as, is that something that vegans should be supplementing their diet with? No, I don't think so. Um, unless your doctor specifically wants you to have a calcium supplement, um, you'll get plenty of calcium from foods themselves, as long as Greens and beans are a big part of your diet. And I'll tell you, Chuck, there's, there's been a, a bit of a change over the past oh, many decades. It used to be that people would have water that had natural minerals in it. And now we hear about mineral water. Um, many people out of their tap are getting purified water. Why does that matter? If you had a, if you're drinking, say, a quart or two of water just naturally in the course of the day and as part of cooking, Calcium is a substantial contributor to the minerals in mineral water. So the, the point I'm making is there, are, there is calcium in a lot of the foods you eat, including the natural water supply that we would normally have. Um, and uh, if you access these on a regular basis, you won't have a need for a supplement. All right. We talked about strong bones. Naturally, the follow-up to that is teeth. Aliyah's question, do vegans have weaker teeth? 
No, but it's the same story. Um, calcium is one of the elements that you want, and you want to have green leafy vegetables. Don't forget them. It's it's uh, good to include every day, and include them in a wide variety. And if you happen to have somebody in your family who's a little phobic of broccoli, you know what I'm talking about. They just don't like it. Um, I was that way when I was a kid. Um, you don't need to spend hours at psychotherapy thinking, gee, why am I afraid of broccoli? All you need to do is squirt a little lemon juice on it or a little apple cider vinegar or some Bragg aminos. You'll see these at the, the health food store right next to soy sauce. These are toppings that cut through that little faint bitterness that broccoli or other greens have and make them like candy. So uh, cook it up, make sure it's adequately cooked, season it properly. You are going to love your green leafy vegetables. All right. We've been talking about milk from cows, but Lavera at 1208 is wondering if the same things apply to milk from goats. Yeah. Um, if anything, even worse. Um, the Part of the reason that people have been choosing goat milk um, over time is apart from the fact that it sounds so kind of romantic to have um, milk from goats, uh, the fat content, if anything, is a little bit worse. I'm talking about saturated fat. That's what makes it so creamy. Um, it's all that kind of buttery part. Well, your coronary arteries don't like it too much. And the goats, same story. If you went to um, Amazon and picked up a book on goat farming, they will tell you that you got no choice. You're going to kill their offspring. That's right. Those cute little goats are they have to be separated from their mother so you can take the milk and, and sell it for goat cheese. And then they talk about all the ways that you're going to kill these cute little kids. So uh, it's a creepy industry and it's and surprisingly so, but those are the facts. Let's talk about digestion and dairy. This is a widely talked about one. Natasha, 1210, she's wondering how does dairy affect digestion? Two ways. Uh, the first way you've heard of, and that's the lactose sugar. The sugar in, in milk is a double sugar. It's glucose, a molecule of glucose attached to a molecule of galactose and they go together and they go through your digestive tract. And if they arrive at your large intestine together that way, bacteria love it. Bacteria in your digestive tract will start fermenting it and they start bubbling and, and making gas and gas and you feel terrible. Um, your body, when you're an infant, makes an enzyme called lactase, A-S-E, lactase, that digests the lactose sugar. And so by the time it gets to, to the digestive tract, the sugars are all broken up and, and they're absorbed rather than being there for bacteria to ferment. Here's the issue. After the age of weaning, you lose those bacteria. I'm sorry, you lose those, those enzymes. And so that's when the lactose intolerance kicks in. Now, lactose intolerance is the norm uh, for not just humans, but for all mammals. Uh, many whites, pe people of European extraction, have carried a genetic mutation that causes those lactase enzymes to persist longer in life. But for most everybody else, and even for a lot of whites, um, lactose intolerance comes in and makes, uh, makes them a pretty unpleasant experience. Um, and Chuck, forgive me for this long-winded answer, but I do want to add one more thing. Um, and that is lactose intolerance is not a disease. It is nature's way of saying, get weaned already. You should not be drinking milk anymore. Mother Nature is trying to protect you. It says, if you have a digestive upset and you stop drinking milk, good. That means you're less likely to get prostate cancer or cancer of the ovary 
or the heart disease that might come from having all that dairy fat. So listen to your body and that digestive upset says, forget it. Okay, I said there's two ways that you can get indigestion from it. The first way is the lactose intolerance. The second way is a dairy allergy. Not that common in adults, but some people are allergic um, to the dairy proteins. And the, the answer in both cases, skip the dairy. All right, we've talked a little bit today about how there are studies showing that dairy can increase a person's risk of cancer, but Steph is looking at studies that are showing the exact opposite. She's saying some studies have shown that milk can actually reduce the risk. Why is that? Yeah, um, if we look at different cancer types, the mechanisms are different. Um, I mentioned uh, prostate cancer earlier. And with prostate cancer, the results are really pretty clear and convincing that men who consume the most dairy have the most prostate cancer. Um, the increase is maybe 40%, something like that, increased risk for men who have um, a dairy serving daily compared to those who don't have any. So it's a substantial increase in risk. Um, with regard to cancer of the ovary, same story, more dairy, more increased risk. Um, and the evidence is pretty convincing there too. With breast cancer, it's been really up and down. Over time, the, the, the evidence has been quite mixed. The problem that we've had with breast cancer is that it looks like we've had a lot of confounding going on, which is this. Um, women have been told, drink milk for strong bones. The most health conscious women were the ones who were drinking the milk. And they in turn were health conscious in many other ways. They weren't drinking a lot of alcohol. They were exercising. And so their breast cancer risk was a little lower than other women for those reasons and the milk seemed to take credit for it when it might not have been the case. But last year, a big study came out from the Adventist Health Study 2, and they looked at women who drank no milk, women who drank a little milk, women who drank a lot of milk. They had tens of thousands of women in the study, huge study. And there, by controlling for these other uh, confounders, they found a clear and consistent relationship. More milk, more risk of breast cancer. Finally, um, there is, one bit of good news for the dairy industry, and that's colon cancer is reduced uh, in people who drink a lot of milk. Um, but it's, it has really nothing to do with the milk it's, itself. It's just a calcium effect. Um, the more people have high calcium foods, the less the risk of colorectal cancer. So bottom line, uh, milk is going to increase the risk of several common cancers. And, and uh, with regard to colon cancer, there are far better, far better ways of reducing your risk. Generally speaking, when you're looking at a study, how important is it to look at who funded the study, who the authors of the study are? Well, you always want to look at that. Um, now, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that that's that, um, say, dairy industry funding is necessarily going to twist the results, but I'm, but uh, it can, and you certainly do want to take it into into account. We, we've seen this where we saw this really tragically was with the cholesterol controversy back in 2015. Uh, there were a lot of studies that, that seemed to suggest that maybe eggs would be sort of benign with regard to cholesterol. And when you looked, it was clear. There, the egg industry was funding these studies and really sort of twisting how the results were, were interpreted. Um, with dairy, we see a lot, of, uh, a lot of the same kind of thing. Uh, let's do a follow-up here. We were talking about calcium, obviously, a little bit ago. Mitch is wondering, from 1213, is almond milk an okay source of calcium? Um, it depends on the type. You'll, you'll see some of them are calcium, have calcium added, some don't. Uh, read the label, read the label, and you'll see. I, I should mention that no kind of milk, whether it's certainly not animal milk, but even plant milks, they don't have to be your main source of calcium. 
Remember, green leafy vegetables? The reason I'm pushing them so much is they don't have added sugars. They have virtually no fat, no saturated fat. Um, and they bring you not just lots of highly absorbable calcium, but they bring you iron in its healthiest form. They bring you antioxidants. So don't forget your green leafy vegetables. We're gonna make a big pitch for them. But almond milk, it's fine. You can have it if you want it, it's perfectly okay. Uh, to that end, let's stick with the uh, dairy-free milks. Roger wants to know, what is your take on them, given the fact that a lot of them have added sugar? Well, keep in mind where we started. Uh, milk, cow's milk, its number one nutrient is sugar. Um, and so to make the almond milk or the hemp milk or the rice milk or the oat milk taste like milk, a lot of the manufacturers add sugar to try to match the cow's milk. Now, some of them don't, and you can choose whichever whichever one you want. Uh, Cindy's question, how does the quality of protein found in dairy compare to the quality of protein that is found in plant sources? Well, in any kind of food, you have a mixture of the protein building blocks. These are the amino acids, and there, there are a number of them. And you don't need just one or two. You need a variety. It's sort of like if you're gonna make a building, you need some bricks, you need some mortar, you need some structure. With amino acids, you need a variety too. Now, plants provide them all. If you eat a plant-based diet, you'll get all the essential amino acids that you need to build and maintain a healthy body. And that's true even if you're an athlete. But for any given food, they might play favorites. They might have more of one amino acid, less of another, but a varied diet. It includes beans and vegetables and fruits, whole grains. It's got all the amino acids you need, no problem at all. Now, milk is designed to provide the amino acids needed by a calf um, and a lot of fat and a lot of sugar to help that calf grow. So that's a special kind of fuel for growing the calf. Um, for you, you are a primate and your, your natural diet is gonna be from plants. Let's take a second to do an exam room roll call here. Hi to Joanna, Tracy, Diane, Cairo, Karen, Vegan Todd, Tofu Tuesday, everybody else hanging out with us in the chat room today. Appreciate you guys being here and helping to make the world a healthier place. Uh, let's take a question here from Aaron. I guess not quite ready to abstain from dairy altogether. Aaron wondering whether skim milk is a healthier option than whole milk. If you take skim milk, what are you doing? You're, you're removing the fat. That's a good idea because that fat is really bad. It's mostly saturated fat, as I mentioned. Um, saturated fat linked to Alzheimer's disease, linked to heart disease. Get rid of it. So now what are you left with? You're left with a beverage whose number one nutrient is sugar. Exactly. So if I were you, I'd get rid of the sugar too. And if you get rid of the estrogens that are, are still there, yes, there are estrogens in the skim milk too. If you get rid of those, eventually, if you keep getting rid of the stuff in milk, you're gonna be left with water. <laughs> and that's the only part of it that's actually any good. Uh, let me come back to this estrogen issue because it's something people don't talk about, they don't think about. They know there's fat in milk, they know there's sugar, they know there's sometimes antibiotic traces because the factory that the milk came out of was a living, breathing animal. But I mentioned that animal is pregnant and they're impregnated every year by artificial insemination. Their pregnancy lasts nine months and they are milked during much of that pregnancy. The estrogens get into the milk. The dairy industry knows they're there. They've argued, well, you've got estrogens in your body anyway, what's the difference if we add a little bit more? But when the, when the studies came out on, on uh, breast cancer that I mentioned earlier, they, they, they raised this issue. 
And they said, wait a minute, we've already known that the little bit of added estrogens that are in milk do seem to be biologically active. In a man's body, reduced sperm counts. In a woman's body, it appears higher risk of breast cancer and it alters the menopause experience and other things too. So the question is, do you want to drink something that's got estrogen in it? And I'm, I'm hoping that people would, would, would say no. I mean, there, there's no health benefit to it whatsoever. All right, fair question here. We've talked about soy and estrogen. We know that uh, soy among men will not cause uh, breast enhancement. Um, but is it is it fair to wonder whether perhaps the estrogen found in dairy may in fact give a man moobs or would it be the fat from the dairy that would do the trick there? Yeah, I think what's, the, the I mean, there are estrogens in dairy and they can contribute, they do contribute to the estrogen in a man's body or to a woman's body. You don't need them, you don't want them, I would avoid them. But the bigger issue is with milk, and I gotta say, especially with cheese, because it is so concentrated in calories, it drives weight gain. And weight gain means your adipose cells, your fat cells, the mass of fat cells is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger on your stomach, on your thighs, all over. Every fat cell, has an enzyme in it called aromatase. The aromatase enzymes take a man's testosterone, which comes into the fat cell. The aromatase enzyme grab it and they turn testosterone into estradiol, which then comes out of the, the fat cell. So why does this matter? This matters, of course, if you're a man, um, if, if a man's got breast enhancement, um, the aromatase enzyme is what's doing that because he's got so much body fat that he's now making estrogen. And this will affect him in many ways. But what matters more is, let's say you're a woman of 55, 60, and you start thinking, I'm now in the demographic where breast cancer is, is a particular concern. There are a lot of things you can do to protect yourself, but you've heard many people say, getting away from excess body weight will help. Why? Because that body fat turns um, the androgens that are in your body, those traces, into more and more estrogen. So the body fat is the big driver there. Let's go ahead and pivot back to calcium. Take a question from Dab's card at 1214, uh, wondering why do we absorb so little calcium from milk? You mentioned earlier that that was the case. He's kind of wondering the why. Yeah, um, I'm not sure uh, why it is. The number is about 32%. So in other words, for every 100 grams of, of calcium that go down your 100, say, milligrams of calcium that go down your digestive tract, 68 of them don't get past your gut wall. They just end up in the toilet and the other 32% come in. Um, we don't know exactly why, but the reason probably has to do with the other micronutrients that are in the milk that are interfering with the absorption. Kuba, 1218, this is something that we haven't yet touched on. Uh, Kuba wondering, what is the strength of evidence linking dairy and asthma and respiratory illnesses? Oh my goodness sakes. Um, if you have a child who's got asthma, run, do not walk to a completely dairy-free vegan diet. And the reason that I'm saying this is that asthma is a killer. Every day, eight, nine, 10 people die of this disease that's a vice around your lungs. And you go to the doctor and you get on medications and you have an inhaler for use uh, when you need it. And you don't go to a friend's house if they've got pets because the dander will trigger it. You don't go out for athletic sports, be, uh, for sports because athletic endeavors will trigger an asthma attack. And your life is getting narrower and narrower and narrower. And for some, they outgrow it. For others, they carry it into adulthood. 
years ago, people start to, started to discover that certain foods could be triggers too. Just like pollen or other things can trigger it, certain foods seem to be part of the problem. And at the top of the list is dairy. Now we could, frankly, I would like to have more research on it, but we, we published a review on this a couple of years ago. And the, the evidence is already strong enough that people with asthma should really get away from dairy and, and frankly, get away from all animal products, get away from the eggs and the meat too. And by avoiding those antigens, just track uh, the use of your inhaler, the use of your medications, how often do you get episodes? And many, many, many people find that, that they feel dramatically better or their asthma is just gone. Let's stay uh, with kids here. You kind of began that answer talking about them. Joker vegan at 1218. What if a mother can't produce breast milk? What are some substitute milks for a newborn baby? Because a lot of people, they do gravitate right toward that whole milk. Um, well, uh, all pediatricians are well aware that a newborn baby should never have unmodified milk. In other words, the carton of milk that is sold for adults pour on their cereal or for that matter, the soy milk or rice milk that is sold for adults to drink. Those should never be given to a newborn. Newborns need formula. And every single hospital throughout the world, they might have some dairy formulas, but they, by default, they typically use non-dairy formulas. They're widely available because they're less allergenic. So um, every hospital, every, um, uh, every pediatric clinic is well aware of all the options and there's lots and lots and lots of them for, for people who are avoiding milk. And frankly, uh, breastfeeding is always preferred. If breastfeeding is not possible for whatever reason, a non-dairy formula is a good thing for the baby. In the chat room right now, imagine this. We have Cookie Monster telling people to eat tofu. That is the power of the exam room. Cookie Monster, eat tofu. I never thought I would see the day. Um, let's talk about inflammation here for a second, Dr. Bonner. I'll take a question from Jesse at 1220. Jesse is wondering whether dairy increases inflammation in the body. Um, we can measure in inflammation. For people who are wondering what we're talking about, um, inflammation is your body's response to injury or to invasion, um, your body makes chemicals, uh, natural chemicals that let's say you're cut um, and they will cause the blood vessels around the cut to expand, to bring healing proteins into that area. So that's the inflammatory process. But unfortunately, inflammation can get a mind of its own and it can get kicked off when you don't want it. And then it causes all kinds of problems. And there are many foods that trigger inflammation. Dairy's at the top of the list. How does this manifest? Inflamed joints, rheumatoid arthritis, uh, other kinds of inflammation in the skin. Uh, multiple sclerosis is, is, a, is, a, is a condition that's autoimmune as well. And there are many, many others where we believe that antigens, including the antigens in dairy, are triggering this kind of process. All right. Well, riddle me this, Dr. Barnard. Um, this is something that has been brought up by Dotsie Bausch and the fine folks over at Switch for Good. But we're talking about inflammation. Athletes obviously want as little of it as possible to enhance their recovery time. And yet chocolate milk is is pushed as the ultimate post-workout recovery drink. So is it really this great elixir to drink after a workout or are they just throwing fuel on the fire? I have to say, you know, the, the dairy industry has all has tried so many different marketing schemes and their idea. I mean, these are not stupid people. 
they know that they're, they, they want to sell the product to people and they don't want to sell it to somebody who's 70 or 80. They want to start when you are a newborn or, or not a newborn, but, but when you're just starting school, when you're two, three, four, five years of age, they want, to, they want you to be a customer for life. And so that's why decades ago, uh, the dairy industry started promoting the idea of have three glasses of milk to have really strong bones now so that when you lose bone structure later in life, you're going to be protected. This was their idea. It doesn't really work out very well, but that was the idea. So who are they pushing it on? Basically high school kids, uh, college kids. The whole idea is after your workout, have a glass of milk because now you need sugar to rebuild glycogen. You need fat for calories. But the, the sad thing is they're selling you sugar that's indigestible to a lot of people and fat that is exactly the wrong kind of fat saturated fat that the human body has zero need for. So it's all marketing. It's not science. And I'm, I'm sorry to see the industry uh, continuing to play this game. We have time for a couple of more questions. Let's jump over to Amber at 1225. Wants a follow-up. We were talking about the respiratory system and a little bit of congestion. Amber wondering specifically, she says that I noticed that before I gave up milk, I was making way more mucus. Why was that happening? Your body's reacting to it. Um, your body is reacts to a lot of things that don't belong, specifically proteins, the protein on a virus. Your body recognizes it and makes an immune uh, response to it. Uh, the, the protein on a bacterium or on a parasite. And when a food comes in, your immune system sizes it up and says, could this spell trouble? Uh, do I need to make an immune uh, response to it? And the answer, um, in some cases, the body says, yes, let's attack it. And one of the ways it attacks is it creates mucus to cause you to cough up whatever is in your body. That's what your, your body is clumsily trying to do. Um, this is a, a crude sort of defense mechanism against this foreign protein that your body wants to get rid of. All right. And last question, we have a few people here asking if you could give us flat out some more good plant sources of calcium. We mentioned uh, green leafy vegetables at the top and I believe broccoli. What are some other ideas, things that people might want to gravitate toward? Okay. Um, we, we mentioned green leafy vegetables. They're at the top of the list. Don't forget them. And I mentioned what the surprising one to a lot of people, which is mineral water. Um, it's, it used to be part and parcel of what people would drink. It's been kind of forgotten now, but it in years past was a very substantial source of it and, and can be again. Don't forget the legume group. When I say legumes, I mean beans, of course, but there's also lentils. There are peas in there. Um, if you get uh, a block of tofu, look at the label. Wait a minute, tofu is a legume product, isn't it? It's from a soybean and it's often set with calcium and the calcium content of tofu really, really high. Um, finally, there are products that have calcium added to them, the soy milks and others. They have calcium added, calcium not added. You may not need them, uh, but they're there. There are some practitioners who say, well, take a supplement just to be on the safe side. You can do it if you want. Um, but I have a couple of, of thoughts about that. If you're gonna do it, keep it modest. You don't need much. And it doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to be a prescription product. Something like a Tums will do it. If you do it, have it with the meal, not between meals. Calcium supplements taken between meals increase the risk of kidney stones. Calcium supplements taken with the meal tend not to because it's mixed with other foods. But you, don't, you shouldn't be needing the supplements in any case. Green leafy vegetables, don't forget the mineral water, the whole group of legumes, they're all great, including the legume products like uh, tofu and others, 
you're going to have plenty of calcium in your diet. There you go. Let's go ahead and close up the doctor's mailbag for today. But I feel like there is so much more that we could still tackle when it comes to dairy. So guys, please continue to post your questions in the comments or in the chat. And you can also send them to me whenever it is that you so please on Twitter and Instagram at Chuck Carroll WLC. Would love to keep this conversation going with you guys. And we'll do a follow-up show with even more answers for you. And if you enjoyed today's show, feel like you raised your health IQ by a point or two, please go ahead and like it and subscribe to us right here on YouTube as well. That would do us a huge favor. And really, it helps get this potentially life-changing and even life-saving information in front of those who need to find it the most. So you're really trying to help out the next guy or gal who is trying to improve their health just by liking this video and subscribing to this channel. And Dr. Barnard, we can't wrap up things today without giving a huge thank you to the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund for their support of the Exam Room Live and the Physicians Committee, which is helping to raise our health IQs today and making this episode possible. The Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund supports organizations just like the Physicians Committee that carry on Greg's love for animals by promoting plant-based health and working to end animal abuse. And you can visit the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund online right now at GregoryRyderFund.org. That's Gregory Ryder, spelled R-E-I-T-E-R, fund.org. And while you're there, go ahead and subscribe to their newsletter so you can keep up with everything that they are working on. And Dr. Barnard, as always, I know that the Writer Fund is just, it's a special, special group of individuals led by Allison Mahoney that means a lot to you personally. It certainly does. Greg was such a great friend and Allison is, it, it continues to carry on such wonderful work, educating people and inspiring them too. Exam Room Live. You have to join us live at least once, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, every Wednesday on the Physicians Committee's YouTube channel and Facebook page. So set a reminder and ask your question right then and right there. We will get to as many of them as we possibly can. And it's always good to hear from all of the exam roomies as well. And we just got a ton of great feedback from some of you exam roomies following the last live show with Dr. Will Bolsowitz. The color of poo and what it's telling you. Apparently, a lot of people were curious about that. A lot of people wrote in and said, thank you so very much for doing that show. It was one of their favorites. And of course, don't forget also to subscribe to The Exam Room on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever podcasts are available. And when you do, please also leave a five-star rating because that makes it easier for those who are trying to improve their health makes it so much easier for them to find us. And we want this potentially life-changing and even life-saving information to get to them as easily as possible. So go ahead and subscribe and let's help them out. Now, a bit of good news to pass along. In response to a complaint filed by us here at the Physicians Committee, the U.S. Department of Agriculture now says it will be looking into invasive and deadly experiments being conducted on monkeys in California. This is the Neuralink project that's being funded by Elon Musk. The complaint was originally filed on February 10th, and within just a matter of days, the USDA responded saying, yes, we will definitely be looking into this. Now, attorneys for the Physicians Committee are also seeking additional videos and photographs of the experiments that are being conducted through a second lawsuit, one that was filed against UC Davis, the university where this research is being conducted. So stay tuned, more updates to come on that. 
And in other news, if your blood pressure has climbed during the pandemic, you're not alone. In fact, the pandemic may have spawned an epidemic of hypertension. For details, we head to the exam room news desk. A lack of exercise, overeating, and excess drinking during the pandemic is beginning to take its toll. That is according to a study published in the American Heart Journal. The percentage of adults with uncontrolled high blood pressure rose to 19%. That's up from 15% prior to the COVID-19 outbreak. Researchers say data from nearly 73,000 patients was analyzed for the study, comparing blood pressure readings from the three months immediately prior to the pandemic in 2019 to those taken in April through August of the following year. Lead researcher Dr. Eric Peterson says the study's findings are important because even a few millimeters of blood pressure change can result in measurable differences in risks for heart attacks, strokes, and even heart failure. Multiple studies now have shown that one of the most effective tools that we have to treat high blood pressure is a healthy plant-based diet. One study finding that eliminating meat and dairy can reduce the risk of hypertension by as much as 34%. And experts believe this is because fruits and vegetables contain the blood pressure lowering nutrient known as potassium. That combined with the fact that they're generally low in fat and sodium and completely void of cholesterol makes them all heart healthy options. And for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you once again to Dr. Barnard for being here to raise our health IQs. And to you, my exam roomies, thank you so very much for tuning in and learning right alongside of us as we explored dairy. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based.